Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The person with the spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Today we will be in a series of just a few Sundays where moving toward Pentecost and uh, a deeper understanding and celebration of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And particularly uh, when it comes to understanding and knowing the will of God, it's relevant to every one of us because one of the biggest things that we struggle with is we like to know things. We, we want to know, well, how and why? We want to figure stuff out because information and uh, the right answers, uh, the solutions, uh, we want those. We want to be able to have some sense that, that when we can know something, then we have better control. We want to be able to have command, if you will. And we've talked quite a bit about... Uh, the, uh, the impact of the resurrection, but the Holy Spirit is, the, is really not just a side issue for us. It's at the center of an effective Christian life. We've talked about, and you've probably heard people talk about their, let your conscience be your guide. The problem is our conscience comes from a lot of our own processing and making sense of it in our own mind. And so we have a, an interesting statement in this passage. Paul concludes this passage by saying, 
you have the mind of Christ. That's a, a pretty bold statement to say that you actually have it now. And uh, if we were to have the mind of Christ, we would think, well, wouldn't we then know all things and understand all things and have answers to all our questions? One would think that. But sometimes our humanness, perhaps always our human-bound perspective without the Spirit of God gets in the way of that. There was a story of a pastor and his wife. The pastor and his wife once led a marriage enrichment uh, weekend retreat. And here's how he tells the story. He says, as we walked to the podium to speak on the first evening, I wiped my nose with the tissue. Now, you'll notice I did not do that on the way up here. I may later, but in any case, he says, somehow a piece of tissue came loose and stuck to the end of my nose. Mortified, my wife tried to tell me how ridiculous I looked. She muttered under her breath, wipe your nose, wipe your nose. But I couldn't, I didn't hear her. And she scribbled on my notes, wipe your nose. But I didn't notice. The irony is that they were teaching on communication in marriage. (laughs) Standing beside me was someone who knew and loved me more than anyone, yet she couldn't get my attention. It was the last marriage retreat we ever led, he says. Well, you have to think about this in terms of how God wants to get our attention. How he wants to be able to say, hey, look here. It's not just the piece of tissue on the end of your nose. I've got something a lot bigger, a lot more important, a lot more powerful, a lot more life-changing, a lot more future-invested and pointing toward heaven, a lot more than what we are currently experiencing Paul had quite a challenge with the Corinthian church. So let's just set the stage a bit. He had founded the Corinthian church. He had gone off to evangelize elsewhere. He was planting churches all over. And he had hoped that that he had instilled enough of the fundamental things of of faith to the Corinthian church that they would be able uh, to continue to do well. And then there were problems that emerged. Uh, There was some odd and strange philosophy emerging within the Corinthian church. And um, they, he wasn't present to continue to teach them, but he received word of these issues. And when we look at chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, um, you know, we also need to look back. We just, what Rod read was from chapter 2, which is an understanding that Paul wanted to give them before he moves into addressing the issues. So our problem sometimes is we see an issue that's emerging. We want it fixed so that we can get on with our life. And I think Paul demonstrates in the sequence of his writing to say, look, you aren't going to fix the problems in your life until you figure out something that really comes before that. So uh, what he ends up going on to in chapter 3 is he says in verse 1, 
Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? In other words, Paul is basically saying, look, the only way you're going to get away from this human-bound perspective and your own logic and your own thinking and your own way of making sense of everything is by understanding what the role of the Holy Spirit is in your life. And we understand and look at these passages in these coming weeks because in the power of the Holy Spirit, we find the ability to discern God's will through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. And so this teaching we go into today is, is about looking specifically at how the Holy Spirit functions in us. And, and so we're going to back up and start more from the beginning of this passage and, and I, I just want to point out that we, we sang this song, I Know Not Why God's Wondrous Grace. Let's read, I'm going to read verse 3 again. I know not how the Spirit moves, convincing us of sin, revealing Jesus through the Word, creating faith in Him. I may not know those things. I may not know a lot of things. I don't understand when some doctors start to talk about the stuff they're dealing with, sometimes it's a language I don't understand at all. There are situations that we're in, I'm sure, and we can't figure them out and we can't fix them when we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. But notice what the chorus says. But I know whom I have believed. In other words, I know Jesus. I know Jesus and am persuaded that he's able to keep whatever I've committed, whatever I've tried to do, whatever I'm working on, whatever I have to offer, whatever I give over to the, the, the control and the direction of the Lord, whatever that is, he will be able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So the, the first step of faith for anyone at any level of faith, whether you've been in the, in the faith for 50 years or you've been in the faith for three months, it doesn't matter. The beginning of having the mind of Christ starts with every step of commitment. So every aspect of faith begins with some degree of commitment. Maybe that's something as simple as I'm going to read a verse a day. Maybe it's something simple as I'm going to commit to praying once a day. Uh, wherever you start at is not important. It's that start of saying commit to something and see what happens with it. In Philippians chapter 2, you have uh, Paul instructing, and I'm going to 
I'm going to get back to noting Philippians later because it's pretty significant in, uh, in the role of the Holy Spirit. But here's what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. Okay, so let's just say, look, what is he saying here? He's saying, if there is anything good in life, if anything moves and gives you peace, if anything moves and gives you comfort, if there is any sense of joy in the fellowship with other people, if there's anything good in life, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is all part of what he's saying is important in being united with Christ. In your relationships with one another, having have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who then, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. In other words, this like-mindedness with Christ is doing and following what Christ did and doing the same thing and giving honor to God and giving commitment to God and saying no to self. So it's not wrong, please hear. It's not wrong to want answers. It's not wrong to want to be able to know things. It's not wrong to pursue greater knowledge and ex experiences and understanding. That's, that's good, but it doesn't really replace the need to pursue like-mindedness with Christ. And so it really begins with those steps of commitment, a steps of saying, look, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do this. Many people, when you apply for a position or when you uh, even apply for a program or, a, uh, or any kind of, of job, um, you will be have the the interviews or the questions and and they will be asking you questions to find out whether you're a good fit for that particular role and the questions are often to determine whether or not uh, there is this is the right place for you or whether or not you will get awarded with something and the issue that they're looking for is do you have the ability to be like-minded? Do you have the ability to be able to say, here's, I really want to be part of this team. I'm willing to, to serve and work in this role. That sense of willingness is all a part of the commitment. Notice what Paul went on to say in Philippians 1, or Philippians 2. He says, do everything without grumbling. Oh, <laughs> let's just stop there and acknowledge 
how well are we doing with that after this last year? But isn't it another example where universally we struggle with grumbling? We all do. We may not say it out loud, but we mumble under our breath. We know that that's part of our struggle. We don't like not being in control. But Paul says, in the same way that he commanded us to have the mind of Christ, he also says very strongly, do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, uh, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, if we want the power of God in our lives, we will turn everything over. We will work out our salvation. And that fear is not being afraid. That fear there in this passage is a fear that is typical in scripture of respecting and honoring God. I, do, I work out my salvation not because it's mine that accomplishes it, but it's a gift of God. But I work at the fulfillment of my salvation. You know, there isn't just a checklist to say, oh, okay, you're in the kingdom, do whatever you want to do from here on. No, you're in the kingdom, so I'm committed to actually become all that God has for me and to actually serve God in that way. So this whole process of having the mind of Christ begins with every single step of commitment we make to say, I'm going to do this, I'm committed to do that. Whether that's I'm committed to picking up my socks at the, off of the same spot on the floor, I throw them every single day and put them in the hamper. I actually thought of this. I was in the middle of sermon preparation. I walked into the bedroom and there was my pile of socks from about two days worth. And, and I thought, okay, I, I'm going to start here. And uh, I, I'm not sure if Cheryl ever notices that there's any, uh, anything missing from that spot. But in any case, start wherever you can and commit to it and work with it and, and begin there. That's the beginning of the mind of Christ is making a commitment to his word, to his way, uh, and to, to eventually working out our salvation in a way that accomplishes God's will for us. The second thing that I want to point out about the, about the, the process of becoming like-minded with Christ is, is this thing of clarity. Wow. As was read already, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things of God, that things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed by his spirit. In other words, we understand that the spirit is there to communicate with us and to make clear to us the mind and will of God. When it says then following, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. 
But what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We get stuck in our spirit. We get stuck in our thinking, our solutions. We get stuck in our perspectives. We get so stuck in that. And one of the wonderful things that we do in our Sunday school classes is to share that perspective. And, and what we're doing is we're, we're actually sharing a perspective that, that gives us more insights. As other people say, well, you know, when I went through this, this is what happened to me, how I experienced it. When we share those testimonies, it opens our eyes to something broader, something bigger. In 2 Corinthians 3, a chapter later, Paul says, we are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day, that same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. You will remember what happened? The culmination of Jesus' crucifixion was the thunder, lightning, earthquake, the, this event that was a phenomenal thing. And the ripping of a curtain 30 feet high and thicker than, than you could possibly tear was ripped in two. That imagery was to say this, that whatever it is that keeps us from God, keeps us blinded and keeps us from not understanding or knowing what the spirit of God is calling us to, whatever that is, Jesus ripped it in two to take it away and say there will be no more barriers to coming into the presence of the living God. And in doing that, he established for us this ability to now enter into the holy of holies as was the old synagogue um, traditional and, and understanding of, of being in church you couldn't be in church. In other words, if that was here, we'd have a curtain that would go all the way across the front here. You couldn't see me, but you could just hear my voice. Somehow that reminds me of the Wizard of Oz. So. <laughs> that curtain is taken away so that we have a deeper understanding. And that's what the role of the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is there to empower us, to lead us, and to give us confidence that you don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to worry about being able to pull the curtain back and walk through into the presence of God. And so clarity is there. I have much more to say about this, but there will be, just to say this, look, if you're reading a verse or you're, you're reading a book, and then you go back to read the Bible. And then you hear a neighbor. Or you sit in Sunday school and somebody shares. Do you expect that there will be a consistency? Has that ever happened that somebody else confirmed something that you were thinking or going through or experiencing? Of course you have. And every time that happens, that's because... The mind of Christ is consistent. The will of God is a consistent will. It may come out in many variety of ways 
in each of our lives because we're not all the same people. But there will be a consistency in what I'm reading in the word and what I'm hearing and what I'm praying about and what I hear the voice of the Lord speaking to me, sometimes in a whisper, sometimes in a very loud and real way. But there will be a consistency in that. In, first, uh, in verses 6 to 8 in the passage, uh, Paul says that he was speaking words of wisdom to those who were spiritually mature, but those in the world, those who think the world would be unable to understand what he was saying, he was right. The more, you see, the more mature and the more commitment we make, the more God's word makes sense to us. And that move toward clarity is what Paul is talking about in having the mind of Christ. Third thing would be, there is always a connection. Okay, so let's do it this way. If, there's, if you think of anything in your life where you sense God at work, if you get something in mind, something that a situation you were in, something he, he freed you from, something that, that he, he gave healing for, whatever that is, you think whatever it was that was there, what is the purpose of the healing? What is the purpose, and I'm going to just talk about physical healing. What was the purpose of finding peace? What was the purpose of reconciling a conflict you had with a neighbor or brother or sister, a friend? What was the purpose of that? Okay, it's all good now, right? I, I hate that phrase. It's all good. It's all good. No, it's not all good. The only thing that makes it good is whether or not it moves us to our calling. Everything Jesus taught wasn't to just establish salvation. It was to then turn and help others find salvation. To help others find healing, to help others have their mind opened up. Everything we do, everything about life, everything is designed to move us to the mission for which Christ came. That's why we are called disciples. We're not just church groupies. We're not just hanging out because it's cool or it will look good on my resume. We are here because we believe in the call to activate into some form of ministry, some form of making a difference in other people's lives. You want to know the power of the Holy Spirit? You sit with someone who has no one except you. And you see the tears stream down their face when someone says, you're the first person that ever sat and just listened to me. Or you're the first person who I really felt cared for me. You do that and you will experience the power of what God calls us for is his mission and to make a difference in other people's lives. We get so stuck. And that's why we grumble because we're just stuck on ourselves we're stuck on our situations. We're stuck on what we want. And the power of Christ in us is designed to move us 
to bring that same healing and joy, laughter again to other people's lives. That's our calling. We can never separate that. We're always called to not just find peace, but to be able to offer peace. And it was already read, the verses from John 14, where Jesus said that I will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him because he remains in you and will be with you. Jesus was speaking very specifically about the Holy Spirit. We need to learn and recognize that the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives is absolutely essential as he helps us to adjust. So the Spirit may draw your attention to a certain Bible verse that he wants to work into your life. We've talked often about the fact that the Spirit of God may lead you to a, a, to a promise made in the Bible. You may be reading a verse and then you go and meet with someone that day and they go, hey, I was reading this verse and it was the same one that you were reading. Oh, what a coincidence. Uh, being sarcastic there. It was no coincidence. It was the power of God working in our lives to start making connections. I loved, I don't know about you, but I loved those exercises, those worksheets, if you will, when I was a kid where you connected the dots. Just loved those. You know, and even if you knew already what it was before you even connected the dots, there was joy in putting it all together. You could step back, look at that sheet and go, yeah, that's a lion. That's a giraffe. That's a fire truck. Whatever it was, that's what God is doing in, through the Holy Spirit in our lives is helping us connect the dots. The Spirit also convicts us of sin. It may place a burden on our heart for someone. I've, I've heard this testimony over the years. Someone just has such a burden for somebody else and they pray for them and they pray for them and they pray for them. Whether you even ever know what the outcome is, you will have a peace in knowing that you have been entering into and taking seriously what they're going through and praying for them. Now, I mentioned about Acts, and I, I don't have time this morning, but I want you to do some of the homework on this. But I mentioned about this idea of, uh, of what Paul was talking about uh, in, in the move of the Holy Spirit and how much the, the Spirit changed. I quoted you a passage from Philippians. Now, let's look at Acts 16. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts 16, and, and let's look specifically at I won't read the whole thing, but um, starting with verse 6 of chapter 16 of Acts, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region. I believe this was Paul's second missionary journey. And so he has kind of an idea of a, a, a bit of where he wants to go and where he wants to take the gospel. And everywhere he went, there were churches planted that emerged and became powerful and effective Christian witness in those different communities. 
Paul and his companions traveled toward the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Actually, it was a, a Myasia. It's different from our Asia today, but it was one region, and so they, he, he felt that, that they were not to go there. And when they came to the border of, uh, of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Oh, that's listening closely. So they passed by and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, what did Paul do when he heard the Spirit of God speak to him? He thought about it. He prayed about it. He took three days and just sat. No. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's what he says. And they set, set out to sea and sailed straight across uh, the, uh, the body of water toward Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And stayed there several days. Now he goes on. But to say this. If Paul had not listened to the leading of the spirit. Think of the power of the witness of the church in Philippi and all the believers there. And think about how Paul talked about, about his special joy that the Philippian church that he had with them. And how their faithfulness was ministering to his spirit. Think about the story of being locked in jail and having the, the prison bars shaken open and, and the witness, which eventually led to the saving of not only the prison guard, but all of the prison guard's family. Think about his meeting of Lydia and the ministry that Lydia eventually had and, and the faithfulness of Lydia in that region. Think of all of these things that came because the Spirit of God came to him in a vision and he said, I want you to go to Macedonia. And Paul went immediately. The Spirit of God is always going to lead us into a mission that extends God's kingdom. We, we talk about this and, and maybe we don't pray it enough, but the Lord's Prayer, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All we're saying there is, we are on a mission. And everything about the move of the Spirit is to move us into our calling where we are serving and extending God's mission to others. And so this, this one example from Paul in, in Acts of him listening to the Holy Spirit made a difference. That is being of the mind of Christ. So to have the mind of Christ, we will be willing to be transformed and it will change our direction. It will change where we're going. Well, the final result and the constant presence of the Holy Spirit will give us contentment. You know, over the last years, it's just to me is amazing over and over again how our society lives in a constant state of discontentment. And I would just ask you this morning, do you feel that you have the mind of Christ?
Do you feel that you have a clear understanding of God's will for your life and for your calling, for the way that, that you can be a blessing and extend God's kingdom to others? It's okay to be at very different levels of that. Maybe that's not as clear, and that's okay. But start with where you are. And we know that if we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and fill us, that we will have a clear sense of peace and contentment. Not because everything is solved, but because we feel right with God, and there is peace in that. And so instead of filling our lives with more and more and better and better, we can end up feeling empty and depressed more than when we began this journey. But that's a result of us leaning on the wrong things and looking for the wrong things and looking for something that will never bring us peace. The only place that we will find true fulfillment and contentment is in Christ. Author Rob Cuban talks a contentment based talks about contentment based on conviction. I think that's the question. Are we willing to have the peace of God within us? Are we willing to say, Father, empty my heart of the worldly within me and fill the fill me with the Holy Spirit? Make my desire to please you greater than any other desire I could possibly have. Live in me and through me for you and you alone. John Wesley said it this way. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours, so be it. And the covenant which you have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. May the Spirit of the living God do a new work in you that you will be able through your commitment to find clarity calling and direction and a contentment that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit.